This is Roy Orbison Jr.'s Rock and Roll Circus podcast. And now we have part two of my Wayne Moss interview. I'm a big Orbison fan, and it's a great honor to be here with Wayne. Which other songs do you jump out at you? Did you play on 59? So you would have started kind of, Roy was in RCA Studios. He'd signed to Monument. Um, how did you? That's where I did the recording with it. Was I did some at RCA. Oh, some at RCA. Oh, yeah, and Monument. So, and he, I think he started at RCA. He was at it. Yeah. And then he quickly moved to over to, um, oh, and Monument. So you worked at the Fred Foster studio yeah, a lot, Foster's too. Yeah, Foster's used to be uh, the um, Phillips studio. Okay, what's now the Sam Phillips studio? Well, it Phillips was Sam Phillips studio to begin with. Fred Foster bought it and it became Foster Studio. That's where we cut Pretty Woman. That song, Pretty Woman, ends up being the first song, the first guitar riff. Now, people argue that, but and they'll say like Chuck Berry's song, but, but that's a lick, that's an intro lick. Mm-hmm. Um, when, I, when I say guitar riff, I'm meaning in a, in a compositional sense, meaning a song that you, if you take out the riff, the song, uh, the song falls apart. There is no mm-hmm. song. It's a, it's a compositional element within the song. And there were bass riffs, um, and I always kind of went to Ray Charles, um, uh, the octave jump of um, what? What is it? Uh, what I'd say? What I'd say? Because that's kind of it's a it's a similar kind of it's a it's a repeating riff, but that's on piano. So what I'm saying is, Pretty Woman was the first guitar riff in a song. Uh, and that led through songs like uh, really, really amazing songs like uh, The Beatles' Day Tripper yeah. is a guitar riff song. Satisfaction by The Stones is a, so, all the way to Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. You know, you go back to Pretty Woman and amazingly that isn't, it, there, there aren't any before that. It also starts out with a really aggressive uh, drum, yeah. you know, that that strangely, it's such an obvious way to begin a song, but it hadn't really been done before. It was too warlike, mm-hmm. too aggressive to go, boom, 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 and then go into the song. Um, plenty on that one. Um, let's hit Crying for a minute, okay? Mm-hmm. So Crying was, what was that 1962? That was a little bit before. Uh, that's considered, uh, Pretty Woman's considered uh, the greatest rock song ever, along with Johnny B. Good and a couple of others. Crying is considered the greatest ballad ever, you know, along with Stairway to Heaven and uh, some other ones. So you played on what I would argue is the greatest ballad of all time and the greatest rock and roll song of all time. That's a that's a pretty heavy, um, heavy, well, <laughs> heavy load you've carried. Uh, what about crying? What what was that like? Gosh, I don't know. It was a long time ago. I can tell you that. Harold Bradley was on that one, mm-hmm. and I've heard kind of from his point of view. He missed Pretty Woman. Yeah, Probab- he did. So did Bob Moore. Yeah. There's probably for the 500 se- guitar players said they played on, including Grady Martin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who wasn't there? But now it makes a lot of sense to me that you said that there uh, there was a Bradley Barn uh, Barnyard session, and that's where Harold was then too. That's why Harold well, wasn't on this. His brother. <laughs> and Ray had to go, so Harold was at the that I would I was about to say the wrong a different session, probably a gr- great song too, but. And some of these other guys, but but uh, but he did play on crying, and mm-hmm. crying, crying is another one that's kind of hard as a guitarist. It comes in with a, boom boom boom. 
that always sounded like lightning or a, a storm coming or something to me, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, what's your take on crying? What was, uh, if you don't remember specifics, just even, what well, do you think? I'm, so who play, Who was playing guitar? Would it have been Ray again? Playing? Billy Sanford played on um, the intro. Intro, that, that was an important part. But it was Harold Bradley's guitar. Uh, that happens a lot, you know. It's, um, <laughs> Charlie McCoy played on, um, played um, Jerry Reed's guitar, or played half of it uh, on um, Detroit City. That don do 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 do. Charlie was turning the knobs, and Jerry Reed was playing it. Mm-hmm. So it took two people to do that. But um, Sanford worked with Roy a lot, and. I love his uh, style. You know, I, it's my my opinion that he played that fast Mean Woman blues. That dunda lunda 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 lunda. That wasn't you. Well, I'm just you know. I'm just gonna do like process of elimination. I always thought it was him because I've seen him doing that. He went on out on tour with Roy, mm-hmm. and when you see one of these shows in '65, it's the only time that it's that it's so fast. Um, and that that particular riff on Mean Woman blues, it's you know it's the Chuck Berry double note bend kind of yeah. thing but it's so fast he's he's kind of double picking the second note so it's da 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 and that influenced uh that sound heavily influenced jimmy page on a lot of his like he did a song communication breakdown where you know it's very fast and when jimmy does kind of rock and roll he hits that that kind of billy sanford sound i've actually traced it down to that and uh I believe Billy was from Shreveport. Is mm-hmm. that, that right? You know, yeah. because James Burton is from Shreveport, and I always ask James about Billy, and uh, he was kind of best friends with Billy. So I, I, I love uh, the the relationships between all you guys. Uh, were there any rivalries or enemies among these groups? Um, I don't know if you would call it rivalry, like you I, and I Kenny Buttry and Charlie kept on going, and then Harold was a little bit more um, connected to the Bradley. Yeah, and. Uh, and then Charlie McCoy, uh, Buddy Harmon. Were there any people that like maybe didn't get along with Fred Foster or that did get along better? Roy's drummer. <laughs> Roy's drummer. Uh, uh, no, they all got along fabulously. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed watching James Burton play my lick on Black and White thing. That was nice. Yes. But yeah. um, I don't know. It was uh, it's kind of, kind of kind of a click. There was nine people doing all the sessions when I came to Nashville in 1959, and um, that's that started growing, but there was Redington and Pig Robbins and Harold Bradley. I think helped me get started more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a really closed circle. How did you smash in in the first place? Well, I was very determined, and um, my mother brought me to Chet, play for Chet when I was fifteen, and um, she said, "Isn't he amazing?" And Chet said, "No, he's average." But uh, maybe you can get a job but to operate somewhere. And I said, okay, my work's cut out for me. So Chad ended up cutting four of my songs. He wrote a tune in my publishing company. So mm-hmm. we get along well. He came out and played on Newberry's album here at Cinderella. Mm-hmm. And um, Are you talking about Chet Atkins? Yeah, Chet Atkins. Yeah, so when Chet Atkins tells you you're average, that is a real compliment. <laughs> <laughs> well, it either, it either crushes your spirit or... No, but determine, he is so. the superlative guitarist. Yeah, he is arguing who's the greatest ever and all that kind of thing. But he is definitely the he is the apex guitarist. Yeah. Uh, nearly everyone would put him there. Um, 
And so, yeah, for someone so high up the ladder to say you're average at 15. At 15, well. Ends up being maybe the greatest compliment you, <laughs> you, you have. That, I put that on the front cover of my book. Um, Chet Atkins called me average. <laughs> well, I, what I did was I put a, a, a new album out called Guitar Heroes. Mm -hmm. And um, I am. Um, Fantastic, by the way. Thank Check you. Check it out. Cut number one is I did when I was 15. And it's, um, um, I call it Basin Wrench Blues in Chet's honor about the plumber crack. It's actually St. Louis Blues, but it's his arrangement of St. Louis Blues, which is what I played for him when I auditioned. And um, he said, um, I don't know, lady, you look like you make a good plumber. I don't know. So. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on then? Uh, um, anyway. Um, I got to know him later. He was great. I, I, the first time I remember meeting him was 1974. I was uh, three years old and we were out at Curly Putnam's farm. Mm -hmm. And uh, Linda McCartney and Paul McCartney were there and Chet and my dad. And we had a picnic out at Curly Putnam's farm. Yeah. You know, and these are the kind of stories that almost nobody in the world probably even cares about, but green, if you're green from around here, yeah, green pingrass at home, that, that was, that's a big deal. And um, while we're talking here, um, I just want to mention that I keep looking up and seeing these great guitars. I see these gold, I call them the gold caramel. Yeah. And I know that's a Strat then, because mm -hmm. that is a... a 1954. Yeah, I have a 57 and it's just so beautiful. Later on, even just a picture of the case. I don't know if we can get that down later if you, yeah, if we, you want to. I want to see a guitar. And um, you were talking about Dylan being kind of unkept when he came out. That made me flash on a thing where the Beatles were in uh, New York and uh, Waldorf Astoria or somewhere. <clears throat> and they said, <clears throat> there's a guy down here who wants to get to see you guys. I think he's a bum. And they said, what's his name? His name's Les Paul. Oh, okay, well, send him up. Because <laughs> he looked like a bum. <laughs> When you're when you're filthy rich, a lot of people, you know, you don't care. Yeah, no, it doesn't matter what people think. No, it's uh, it's the Malibu style in Malibu. If you're too, if you look like you're trying too hard, that's yeah. not cool. <laughs> so, uh, but Les Paul was great too. I met him in New York on on his birthday, on like his 90th birthday. He had a party, and I was there for that. And when I go back in my own history, I'm so lucky because I'm a you know I'm a big music fan. I I got to meet Willie Dixon. I got to meet. Uh, uh, just the list is the list is incredible, really incredible, and and a lot of them, a lot of them I became really good friends with. I'm good friends with Bono of U2. I'm good friends with Brian Johnson of AC/DC, and I've got lots of like just one night best friends with with people that are that, that are fantastic. But but um, what kind of guitars were you playing? Did you did you buy that guitar in '54? I bought it in '54 in Charleston, West Virginia. It was the second Fender instrument ever sold in the state of West Virginia. And the guy that bought the first one was on my Guitar Heroes album, playing acoustic for them. Mm -hmm. But um, it um, it hummed a lot in the studio because it didn't have humbucking pick pickups. So I bought my Jazzmaster, and it worked well. So I ended up buying five of those and just leaving them at different studios. Mm -hmm. But um, talking about being intimidated by people, uh, we we didn't do that much. McCoy hired me for Dylan. I said, who's Bob Dylan? He said, I don't know, man, he wrote Blowing in the Wind, just show up. So people will say, well, how, what was it like being there with Dylan? Uh, you know, paid the rent. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know who he was. Yeah. So 
we we didn't we weren't nervous or anything being around a legend because we didn't know it was a legend including mccoy he didn't know either well it takes time for an album like blonde on blonde to be become one of the great uh, pivotal albums it, mm -hmm. it's it's a it's an amazing i remember album. playing uh, uh i was leader on a nancy sinatra session and her producer was lee hazelwood and he said now i don't want you guys to feel intimidated or anything because this is Frank's daughter. And I wanted to say, Frank who? <laughs> I didn't do that. But anyway, um, he, he hit the talk back and said, all right, Nashville, show me what you got. And I could tell this wasn't gonna go well. But we cut some, we cut some good records. Mm -hmm. It was right after she had boots were made for walking. Mm -hmm. But oddly enough, I tried to hire Grady, Ray Edenton, all these people, nobody would work for Lee Hazelwood. And they had were them previously, and they didn't get along well. So we got through it. But um, mm -hmm. what about when the birds came to Nashville to record an album? Were you, I wasn't on the, those, but um, no. But what other kind of things? Um, what are we missing out of here that you would like to? Well, the birds uh, a still sure. guitar album mm -hmm. that um, revisits all those bird songs mm -hmm. was done here at Cinderella. It's in yeah. the charts right now mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with Lloyd Green and J.D. Manis, mm -hmm. who played on the original records. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, there's Linda Rodstad's been in here, Steve Miller Band. She sang in the bathroom. Yeah, we like sang. that story. She sang, she sang in the bathroom. And uh, there's so much, um, uh, you know, Linda Ronstadt, she had to, her big hit was Blue By You, big number one, you know, maybe her biggest hit ever. And uh, and so I've always felt close to Linda and Amy Lou Harris. Roy and her got her first Grammy, and we've got some of those little Grammy things that you've got over there. I see them. That <laughs> yeah. says 1974 and 1969. What are which ones are those for? Gosh, I don't know. Um, Can I grab Charlie them? McCoy records? I think. Can I grab them? There? Sure, have take some. a look at them. I just want to show you what I'm seeing. Oops, mercy. That was a real Orbison and Mercy, straight out of Pretty Woman. <laughs> Yeah. There's something interesting that I'd like for you to talk more mm -hmm. about, and it is the fact that you you were the one of the first to hear these songs, that you didn't know if they would make a big hit or not. And the legends you work with, you met before they took off on tour and became legends. So you didn't really know these people. And you toured before. with Bob Dylan then. You became part of his band with Charlie. No, I, I, I worked uh, with the Lone Players mm -hmm. uh, when, they, when they did the Woolbears thing, and I, oh, they yeah. wanted me to play Pretty woman mm -hmm. with them, which I did. Mm -hmm. But um, oh yeah, so so. But that, all the, the live gigs I played with Roy were prior to Pretty Woman and mm -hmm. all that. Mm -hmm. But then you started, and probably not only the Lonely. You might have remembered that, right? Or would it have been right from the very beginning? In '59, Roy had Uptown, and then it was only the Lonely, and then uh, kind of the bigger hits of you know Blue by You. Then Running Scared. Did you play on Running Scared? I think so. Yeah, I, I believe you probably <laughs> did. We look back, I tried to figure out, and there's very bad records for this. We really need to go to the Musicians Union and try That's to true. really, you know, we're probably going to have to hire someone to do the Well, what happened research. about the records is uh, the president of the union, Johnny George, decided at one point that they needed the records prior to Elvis's last session and threw them all in a dumpster. So... Anytime they use um, something in a movie like, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, early Patsy Cline or something, mm -hmm. there's no record of who was on it. Mm -hmm. So it takes an affidavit now from the union mm -hmm. to get paid on 
re a reuse. Okay, yeah, we've tried to figure it out, and uh, in a lot of cases, we're just guessing. You know, we're just guessing, or going on what Harold has told yeah. us or what you told us. Harold's you know, the one gave me that contract on, on Pretty Woman. Mm -hmm. Harold had a lot of great information. He knew that Hank Garland played on Sweet Dream Baby. He's playing acoustic on that, that strong. And, and then uh, Charlie McCoy's first song that he played on was Candyman. That, mm -hmm. that, and so he came in, and he's Mr. Candyman. And he had one session before that with uh, uh, the RCA uh, was doing, uh, uh, was what G was it? Jim uh, Reeves or something? No, it was um, a Swedish lady. Um, it'll come to me in a minute. But anyway, Bob Moore said, are you working Thursday? And he said, no. I'm not working for the rest of my life. He said, well, show up. We're going to do Roy. And so that was his second session. Mm-hmm. Well, that's still pretty and close. Margaret. Oh, Anne Margaret. Oh, that yeah. That was his first one. Yeah, she was She was actually really talented. I liked Anne Margaret. And, um, but I didn't know she was, oh, that would be 62 or 61, even early. That was really early. I didn't know Anne Margaret was active. I think of her as Elvis, you know, Viva Las Vegas, yeah. 70s. That was a lot of fun, and thank you for listening. And tune in for part three next of Wayne Moss's interview on Roy Orbison Jr.'s Rock and Roll Circus podcast. Mm -hmm.